By rattling snake and bullfrogs croak, the singing robin and jackalope. By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about. Welcome to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell, sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon. I promise you won't regret it. Welcome to Southern Bramble. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bane X Bramble on Instagram. How are you, Austin? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's been a morning already, hasn't it? It has. What have you been up to lately? Gosh, what haven't I been up to? Okay, so on Friday night, I, after watching RuPaul's Drag Race, as one does, um, I came home and I decided to do an Instagram live and I had a couple books I went over, um, Tales are spells from the wise woman's cottage and a witch's art of incantation. I've wanted to get that. The okay. um, uh, both of them actually. Mm-hmm. I I'll be really honest for everyone. Um, the witch's art of incantation is fantastic, and in fact, we're going to speak about it in this episode today. I'm going to bring up a few things, um, but. Uh, Spells from a Wise Woman's Cottage is a Troy Books publishing book, which is almost all of their books are wonderful. But I want to say four fifths of the book is research and reference. And one fifth of the book is Spells from a Wise Woman's Cottage. Good to know. <laughs> so, yeah. So when I got it, I was like, this is cute. I love this. I like this idea. It almost felt a little bit like, um, some of these also probably cross over into The Long Lost Friend or came from a collection of commonplace books. Uh, some are very uh, Protestant Christian cunning charms and some are healing things. It's a lot of that kind of stuff. It's a lot of, which is very, you know, in the framework of, of Troy Books is compiling yes. a lot of, of references and resources, which makes mm-hmm. sense. And then kind of delivering a practical, it's like both kind of like you have your your factual rooted information and then you also have, you know, this is how you can apply it or maybe here are some like extras to, to, to do on your own time. Yes. So I wanted to do a whole live where we discussed um, historical incantations and folk spells and then how you can, literally that was the live was about and how you can practically build a spell around it or practically use it in today's life. Um, Unfortunately, I went to go save it to Patreon and Instagram crashed on me. I lost the video. I lost the entire thing on Instagram. And I was just like, now I, I, I can't even post it for my regular followers to see. I was so sad about it. I have had that happen many a times. Mm-hmm. I would have cried if I had any tears left. This cold-hearted bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
What about you? What have you been up to? What have you been working on? Uh, well, you know, I have the occult pigment formulary mm-hmm. coming up. Um, I've been sending the pigment formularies out. We have um, some people who are joining us through uh, a queer BIPOC scholarship that a friend, a few friends, um, thank you to, to Key and um, Keanu for kind of like funding that and setting that up to make um, some of these workshops more accessible to uh, queer uh, Black Indigenous people of color. That's been really, really cool. Um, I have the workshop coming up on September 11th and 18th. I'm planning a little trip to um, San Francisco in the fall, and I'm also working on a couple more workshops. Do you want to know about them? Yes, tell us about it. So I'm thinking of doing um, kind of in continuous and or like con- to continue on what I've been working on with uh, the occult pigment formulary and getting into like nitty gritty, like talismanic work, folk talisman work, um, the juxtaposition between like grimoireic talismanic work and also like folk talisman stuff, as well as a completely separate workshop. I'm thinking about doing um, compiling some of the nastiest and like obscene stuff from grimoires <gasps> and kind of compiling it into like just a little lecture it won't really be a workshop but i've been thinking about just like and and kind of comparing them quite kind of digging into like why some of these things are in grimoires and also how can we some of it I don't want to like recommend people to apply to their personal practice because some of it is just like really awful stuff right Mm -hmm. and then sometimes you know for example with like Petit Albert which is um, a French grimoire you know we have the hand of glory which is one example and you know why would somebody make a hand of glory and how could you perhaps use that in your personal practice maybe without the grave robbing um and maybe without the mummification uh but you know still kind of wondering like how we might be able to develop this into a personal practice and maybe also take that a step further with some of the other things that are in grimoires but i really want to focus on how like kind of just like taking the obscene information that you can find and kind of compiling it together just for like a little halloween special very um very you know it's a little gross it's a little icky for for my friends who like gross and icky things malicious maledictions galore mm, that's a good name Ooh, that one's fun maybe that should be the title of the of the class malicious i think so maledictions galore i'm gonna write that down that sounds like some sort of um death eaters name from the harry potter universe it it does you know what i've realized that a bunch of harry potter names are references to yes a lot of like esoteric things like Albus. Uh, I knew is, Aloysi- is Aloysius one of them? Aloysius. I don't, I don't know. know, but for some reason, I, I heard Aloysius recently in another um, historical text. Someone named Aloysius, and I was just like, ooh. 
I like that name. I don't know, but there's so many, like, a lot of them are named after, like, particular, like, magical star. Like, Albus mm-hmm. is named after a geomantic figure. Um, Minerva, of course, uh, McGonagall is named after Minerva. And then there, there's so many people that are, like, named after very, like, esoteric things. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize... I didn't catch that when I was 12. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, should we get into the topic of discussion today? Yeah, speaking of decapitating, or well, not decapitating, but severing hands and mummifying them. What are we going to be talking about today, Marshall? Today, we are actually doing the first part of a two-part episode on spellcraft. Um, it is the most quint I'm not most but it's one of the most quintessential aspects of being a witch is spellcraft I mean I wouldn't you say so I mean I hope others would agree I think so well you know everybody knows that I have strong opinions on what witches do uh-huh uh uh-huh. 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 and I don't think that it is possible to be a witch without casting spells mm-hmm I agree. And personally, okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and open up with a little spicy statement. I have recently come out as not being against New Age whatsoever. I think New Age has a lot of different wonderful concepts that are fantastic for meditation, mindfulness, uh, intention. But a lot of people are conflating witchcraft and New Age. And the thing is, is New Age is literally based off of an idea that is taking older concepts and reinventing them, specifically it's westernized, um, in a newer way. Witchcraft is not as, as new. Wicca, sure. Different traditions, sure. But the cunning arts and the historical idea of witchcraft is not new whatsoever. So personally, I do not think that the term witchcraft falls under the category of new age. Um, And I do think a lot of people who are getting into it now are falling under the category of new age and bringing a lot of new age concepts to their witchcraft practice. Hey, more power to you. I I do that with a couple things as, as well. But... Um, with the ideas and words which you spoke last time about uh, manifestation and intention, a lot of these words get, I think, personally misrepresented or, or overinflated being like, oh, I'm a natural witch because I manifest my thoughts into reality. And I'm like, hey, you can manifest anything you want into reality. You just need to understand that is a little bit more of a new age concept, but that's not witchcraft. Literally, it's not, in the, it's not the word itself involves craft. It has to have some cunning art to it. And historically, that's always been true. So personally, I don't think, and this is just my opinion, you can call yourself anything you want. But if what your entire practice focuses on is thinking positive thoughts and only vibrating in a very specific way and and thinking your thoughts into reality and, and manifesting them, again, not knocking it. I just think you should reconsider the identity of which, because that takes on a lot more of not only a literal meaning, but a historical meaning. Uh, I just, this is of course, just my spicy little opinion over here. Uh, to piggyback for a second off of off of what you said, I, I think there's 
I think it's gone on for a long time, right? Like it, it, it definitely went on in the 90s. It definitely went on in the early 2000s. Like I don't think it ever hasn't not gone on this conflation between like new age and... Well, Wicca boomed the exact same time. I mean, when I say boomed, I mean in the 70s when all of a sudden, you know, a lot of 60s and 70s hippie practices and and more... Uh, uh, there was a lot of really cool stuff going on in the yes, 70s. You sexual had, revolution. You had the, I believe it was the second sexual revolution. And yeah. I think the third woman's liberation movement. I could be wrong on that. But you had this big force. And and, and then, you know, with, with New Age concepts, a lot of the times you're taking... Um, archetypal things and the witch is an mm-hmm. archetype in in western culture right um i'm well i can't speak for any other bes- things besides what i know but when we think of the witch we think of something very specific right mm-hmm. and so a lot of women especially um going with the new sexual revolution as well as the women's liberation movement a lot of this um, you know, I am witch, I am rebellion, I am, you know, fuck your norms, all of that. Um, a lot of that start getting applied. And I, th- I think that's useful. I think that's really cool. The only, Wonderful. the only issue that I have, I think there's like this really, I don't know why we have such a deep desire to label everything as witchcraft when when it's it's not and I know that 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 word outside of a modern American and in some cases like European context Mm -hmm. does not is not the same all around the world right which is which is a culturally defined term most of the time it's not a good term and that's okay um but you know I think what happens when we start throwing it again on on people who don't wish to be perceived as such it it feeds into a cultural erasure and that's why I know I I talk about it a lot I harp on it often I'm sure people are tired of hearing of it everybody knows my opinion on it the reason why I think we need to start defining witchcraft again not by a body of beliefs but by a body of actions is because when you start to call whatever you want witchcraft, now you're putting somebody in a box that they might not define themselves as. And also certain practices too. Like I know people joke all the time, like, oh, the Catholic church is like, that's full of witchcraft. And I'm like, no, I mean, yeah, it can look like that from the outside, but no, they wouldn't call themselves that. So it's not really fair to people who are practicing a mystery tradition to call themselves witches. Because again, being a witch is, it is a set of, and series of actions and, and an attitude and a very specific operation within a magical praxis, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. And it actually reminded me of why I brought that whole thing up in the first place. When we're talking about spellcraft, we're talking about spellcraft. It does involve a sense of, of, of connection to spirits, whether that's plant allies, weather, whether that's your local deities, whether it's the land you live on, the planets you're calling down. It involves knowledge. It involves uh, time and effort to learn these, these concepts and then applying them in a practice. So the reason I was making the comparison is that spell craft involves actual crafting while 
the idea of manifesting your intentions doesn't involve any of that. So both of those are extremely valid uh, concepts. The thing is, is they are different. And today we're talking about spellcraft. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to kind of bring up and understand what it means to be a witch and to cast a spell. I want people to understand that while we have a lot of we have a lot of freedom in the world of witchcraft there i hate saying there are no rules but a lot of the rules can be broken which i also love but there's so much more than just thinking thoughts and calling yourself a witch because one out of every five of them came true i <laughs> yeah and i want to <laughs> shade um, oh my goodness get the umbrella oh my gosh I'm so sorry I want to you know speak a disclaimer kind of on what you were saying there's absolutely nothing wrong with incorporating mindfulness into your oh no that's practice. the best part like, about new age practices like being yeah exactly it, it, it's it's very like you know meditation is not only a psychologically really beneficial practice, it is also an esoteric practice in itself, um, or it can be used as such, right? Um, and it, it doesn't belong to any culture or anything like that. It, everybody mm -hmm. meditates. You meditate most likely a lot, the most when you're driving, um, a study show. Um, but, the, you know, I think incorporating mindfulness and, and wellness can be really, really beneficial. I don't necessarily think that witchcraft has to operate within those systems. Um, but I think if you want to bring that in, that's cool. I mean, that, that we should be mindful of our environment. We should be, Absolutely. you know, being um, interacting with our environment, which, which leans back into an animistic framework of, of how we are intrinsically connected and, and not above the environment or outside of the environment, but how we are one with the environment, which I think is really important. No, I totally agree. Um, so if, if that's kind of like the foundation we're setting up in the first place, what would you say, I mean, what would you say a spell is? Or better yet, after defining what you think a spell is or how you would define it specifically, how do you think spells work? Do you got a minute? Yeah, go for it. So I was actually listening to an interview. I think it was on the Folklore podcast. I can't remember his name. Um, he he's not like a magical practitioner, but I think he does several podcasts on folklore. And one time he brought Gemma Gary on, and it was a really lovely interview. That uh, you know he's English, I believe, and and um, you know she lives or she's from uh, Cornwall, and so they were talking. And I like that she had brought up uh, once upon a time. She was like, "Well, I don't know how I I, I don't." have to know how a car works in order to drive it right mm -hmm. and I'm like yeah that's a, that's a really good point I don't think that you have to I think it's very beneficial to theorize magic and, and how it works um, but I also don't think there is a way to fully conceptualize or, or theorize magic because there are too many variables so when we look at science right we are able to control a variable right and use that as an example whereas in magic there um it is it is quite living one of the criticisms that a lot of people have with the 
scientific method is that it exists in a vacuum which is kind of the point if you want to get accurate results you have to measure something only one thing at a time to mm -hmm. measure how switching up that one thing affects the other things right one of the criticisms that people have is that the scientific um process it exists in this vacuum whereas magic does not exist in a vacuum it exists very much so in the uh the living world i mean science does too but it, right. it you know what i mean um so there is really no way to measure i think a spell is a series of actions uh set up by spirit spirit work right where uh, i'm sorry i should i should simplify this and take it back a spell is a series of actions setting a relationship with people around you, i.e. spirits, humans and non-humans. And it is also the cultural framework, belief system, or better yet, what people would say like intention. I don't like that word. And mm -hmm. I'll, I, I don't like that word because the perpetuation is that that exists in all um, magical systems. And I can tell you, I can name several magical systems where they're like, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe in. It doesn't matter what your intention is. If you take a pinch of salt and curse somebody's name with it and throw it to the West, like that, it doesn't matter how you feel, that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't like saying the word intention, but when I say intention, I mean the cultural nuance, the religious nuance, the belief system in which you operate. Mm -hmm. And that goes beyond witchcraft. So that can operate that that three triangle model that I have um, in my brain. Uh, you can also find a picture of it on my Instagram somewhere. Um, it that exists beyond witchcraft that exists in any magical or really any religious framework that incorporates magic into a practice. Does that make sense? Sorry, that was really long winded. No, it does make sense. And I think it really explains the way that your mind wraps itself around magic. It wraps itself around spellcraft. Um, for me, I'm going to get a little occulty here for a second. Um, I'm sure a lot of us have heard the saying as above, so below. Some people think of that as the over and underworld. Some people think about that as this side of the hedge and the other side of the hedge. Um, and you can also think about that in the term of the microcosm and the macrocosm. So a lot of sympathetic magic or magic that is done or spellcraft that is done, say in a circle at my altar in a charm bag or whatnot, what I'm doing when I am casting said spell is I am taking a small space, creating a space of liminality. And then in that space of liminality, I'm creating a microcosm. And the microcosm is where I'm putting my desire or intention, if you'd like to use that word, your favorite word. Um, <laughs> and of course, this is actually funny enough where that saying intention is everything was supposed to sort of stem from. It starts with knowing your desire knowing what your intent is 
for this actual casting, for this working, for this ritual, and then expanding from there. So I go into a liminal space, I put out what my intention or desire is, and then I take actions, whether that's with spirit allies, plant allies, um, uh, uh, raising power in some sort of way in this microcosm to then expand oh my gosh what are you showing me i'm, I'm <laughs> drawing little diagrams beautiful diagrams very elaborate but in this microcosm you're using a type of 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 several actions that are then going to be released into the grander scheme of the world the macrocosm so you're you're, you're going into an in-between space to take these actions to push your will into this tiny ball of built up energy. And then when you're done, you release it out to enact itself in the larger scale in your world. Um, that's the way I kind of think about it. That's what I think about when I'm casting is that what I am doing in this little space is, is greatly powerful because the microcosm and the macrocosm are connected. And I hate to get all sciencey about it but i'm sure you've heard of like quantum entanglement that's the idea that two particles no matter how far apart will always be affected by each other very 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 simply put so i think a lot of times and when it comes to especially sympathetic magic which means i am doing something in a small stance that is like how it is going to be in a larger stance which is puppets are a beautiful example of sympathetic magic so i kind of think of spellcraft and how magic works and that sort of stance as above so below Absolutely. I, um, I feel like the concept of as above, so below, which is really a hermetic thought. Mm -hmm. um, I say hermetic. Uh, it, uh, hermeticism is, is that thing that is so ingrained in Western esotericism. I can't speak on other forms of magic. Um, although I'm sure you will definitely find similarities that because this image or this thing represents something else, when I act upon this thing in this name with these links, this also enacts upon the thing. So the, 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 the idea that like attracts like, or the idea- Oh yes, that, that like was the perfect word, like. like attracts like. Yes, and, and that's kind of like our, our basis for sympathetic magic again, like um, say a healing doll, for example, if you stick a pin in the lungs of a healing doll and you say, this is where my spell lies in the lungs, you know, the disease dies or whatever, and you, you stick that pin in the lungs and that is where your healing is going, right? Which is, you know, when people think of like pins and dolls, they always think of Maleficium, but I think um, there's definitely a broader spectrum that those things can be used for. So as above, so below is also the idea that to put it into, I think, into a, a hermetic idea, um, all things are an expression of God, right? Mm -hmm. And I know everybody who practices non-Christian or non-Abrahamic magic, they're going to be like, whoa, what? Wait, what? What'd you say? Regardless of what magical operation you work in, if it's Western, it's most, li most likely going to be 
um, operating in some form of hermetical science or hermetic, I'm sorry, hermetical uh, occult philosophy, right? Even witchcraft. And I tried very hard to figure out where witchcraft and hermeticism can devoid itself of each other. Um, it can, but that's another topic for another time. Yeah. Um, but this idea that the planets, right? Like planetary timing, um, correspondences, uh, color, um, certain things, meaning certain things. That is from this, this larger hermetic philosophy that as above, so below, it is because through all things is an expression of God, meaning that nature is an expression of God, meaning that plants are an expression of God, right? And it gets smaller and smaller. So it gets this really big concept of, of God, right? Quote, God. Um, and then you get smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to St. John's wort, for example, the color is yellow. Um, and yellow is the sunny color that dispels melancholy, right? The black bile. Uh, this is a little bit of humoral theory here. Um, so this is why uh, St. John's wort is a very often linked to depression or cure uh, and as an antidepressant as a natural antidepressant because it has steeped lore and history that the yellow flowers and it being a flower that is dedicated to saint john and usually you pick it on the height of the summer solstice it dispels depression and it dispels evil spirits and and it still is perpetuated in our uh modern herbalism even today people still take saint john's wort for that reason um oh, yeah you can buy saint john's wort at like any vitamin shop or 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 what's that one qnc yeah qnc and it literally will say mood enhancer on there exactly exactly Not fda approved and i'm pretty sure that's because there isn't enough clinical research to actually you know be like hey this is helping your mood but i know in magic like it is a powerful plant ally for dispelling spirits or spirits that you don't want around you. Um, and yeah, yeah. So that was also a really long winded way of explaining um, hermeticism. But I think anytime that you bring hermeticism up, you're going to spend a couple minutes on it. Um, but yeah, above and below. There we go. <laughs> well, actually, you, you kind of went into our next topic, which is, of course, what are the components of a spell? So you kind of listed a, a couple of them out while actually referencing specifically why they are important, how they connect back. And it does kind of come back to the idea of the divine, however you view or witness the divine. I know a lot of secular practitioners who recognize the concept of the divine without thinking of it as a God that is to be worshiped, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know, we've talked about secular practices in the past, but uh, like you said, components of building spellcraft, astrological timing, time of day, uh, plants you may be using, whether you're using minerals, crystals, stones, metals, uh, incantations. How are you going to put this together? What exactly is the building blocks of a spell? Do you want to go on a tangent for a second? I have a question uh, for you. Yes, please. Did you, were you ever scared to use metal in witchcraft because Scott Cunningham told you you shouldn't? I'll tell you right now, no. One, <gasps> no, I was never afraid to use metal and witchcraft. One, because I never read that. Where did he say that? 
I'm pretty <laughs> sure. No, he said it like really off, like a lot, like in incense, oils, and brews. Maybe I'm making this up, but I swear to God, he said it. He's wrote it really? somewhere like, never mix this in a metallic bowl. You shouldn't use metal, blah, blah, blah. But then he had a whole book on metal and mineral magic. Isn't cast iron metal? Yes. Yes, it is. So is so, like just everything. Right? I, I think he, somebody had pointed out, he was like, okay, maybe they, you know, maybe he was like kind of picking up on some folklore for like certain plant spirits, like you shouldn't use steel and you shouldn't use iron. And I was like, okay, that's fair. Um, but I don't know. I, I remember a really long time, now I don't care, but uh-huh. um, when I was, you know, first getting into it and Scott Cunningham was kind of the only reference that I ever had, I was like, I can't mix it in metal. Also though, there are a lot of instances where I do have to use glass because I work with, um, sometimes I work with volatile substances, including like chemicals. And mm-hmm. um, when I work with perfume, you know, sometimes metal can react to certain uh, solvents and stuff. Solvent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, do be careful, I guess. I was kind of wondering now, I don't know the history of, of why that was written in the first place, but I wonder if the reason why it was ever written not to mix this or that in either steel or iron. I wonder if some of that might be mixed in some of the fairy lore. Because I know, yeah, yeah, iron in itself is definitely one of those things that is uh, folklorically an anathema to all fairy folk. So um, using different types of iron in your craft, especially if the majority of the folk traditions come from any sort of fairy lore if it's coming from a place like you know uh wales scotland ireland where a lot of these places where it was steeped in fairy lore maybe possibly using iron within it might be harmful to the magic or almost be rude in some sort of way though i mean most of us use cast iron for cauldrons for centuries right yes um I think with, I definitely think with a certain good folk and certain plant spirits, um, iron and steel can be very affrontatious, but I think Mm -hmm. in certain situations it's necessary. Um, For some of you, just to give you a peek into like some of the things that I use, like when I'm harvesting plants. Now for a very long time, I did just use one knife. Like that was it. I only had one knife. I used it in basically as a replacement for a wand because I don't really use wands. And I also used it as a, you know, something to cut with and cut plants with and things like that. Um, Now I have two knives. I have a copper sickle uh, and that is the only thing that I cut with my plants. Um, and that's the only thing that it gets used for is for harvesting herbs. And that is just because copper is, especially in uh, hermeticism, copper is is a very affectionate metal. It is a very, it's ruled by Venus um, and a couple of other planets, depending on who you ask. Uh, but it is it is a good metal to have. And also, probably feeding into that folklore um iron can be tainted with lead uh 
Um, and, you know, back in the day, like sometimes people might not have known and, you know, you could have been drinking lead um, oh, slowly. Um, also copper, while it can be a toxin, um, or at least the verdigris, like the, the cupric acetate that reacts uh, when copper oxidizes. Um, copper does have an antimicrobial quality to it. So yes. a lot of the times if you, you know, put still water in copper, it doesn't go rancid as fast as um, it might in other conditions. I mean, it's, it's not like a cure-all. It's not going to keep your water pure, but it right. can help. Um, so that too, it, it can also help, you know, not injure plants as much when you're cutting with them just because again of its antimicrobial properties so i think it's interesting when you find out a little bit of that sciencey side of folklore and maybe why these things happened no you're absolutely right and that's one of the reasons why i believe um like a mo like modern day moscow mules that we know them are always served in a copper mug because there is an actual property not just magical but scientifically uh copper mugs enhance your enjoyment of a moscow mule because it's ideal for meeting the cool temperature of the drink um as well as some people feel they have had a moscow mule out of a non-copper cup and they felt like it did not they literally felt like it didn't taste the same so that's an interesting thing to think about you know, what's funny is that mm. most of the time that has to be so placebo because most of the time when you go get a, a, a Moscow mule at any bar or any restaurant, or when you buy Moscow mule mugs, they're usually plated in copper on the outside <gasps> and the inside is usually steel. Have you ever noticed that? You like look in it and it's steel. No, I don't, I don't do that because I don't drink Moscow mules. I don't either, but <laughs> um, yeah, no, most, most of the time when you, when you get it from a, um, like anywhere, like it, nobody, copper is very expensive. So it's just for funsies, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, let's get back. <laughs> that was a lovely tangent. I actually agree. I had fun with that one. Very cute. <laughs> yes. Um, so before we actually get into some of these components, I think it's really interesting to talk about uh, one of the things is how important are all of these components? Because some people, when they look at a spell, when they're building something, they're like, okay, how many things have to go in this? Is this all really important? Some people feel as if I have something I need to do immediately, but the moon phase isn't in the right time period. Or it's a Wednesday, and Wednesday is more based off of Mercury, but the spell I need to do would be best on a Saturday. But I need the effects by Saturday, so I'm not sure. You know, how important do you feel a lot of these components are? That's a very loaded question. No, no, that's a good question. I think um, with timing, I, I don't wanna say this and then people would be like, oh, any time is good time then. Right. But I feel like honestly with timing, there are so many different ways that people time their spells and it just depends on the system that you're working in. Mm -hmm. um, like planetary day and hours and then you have astrological timing and then you have um when you the, say astrological timing just so people know the difference are you talking about like uh like the star signs or like the time the sagittarius leo pisces the when uh, typically a lot of the times you like pick like an election right which is a is a form of prediction astrology using like a chart like an ephemeris chart which has different planetary motions 
and degrees. It's very mathematical. Um, I'm, I'm not a math gay. Though, I'm so. not a math gay either. But if you want to know what an, uh, an ephemeris is, just Google it. It's literally like a graph. Um, and, you know, you can calculate when a particular planet will be in a good sign. Or I see certain planets will be in a good conjunction or sextile to to do a working a, um, a sextile it's a it's a it's a type of um planetary um action or a planetary like you know when we say like oh the sun is conjunct venus Oh, okay. I thought it was like a sex blanket, like a blanket you put down right before you have sex. Like a tile. Like a textile. Where you have sex <laughs> right. No. Like a textile. That's what, the, that's what the gays use when they say, oh, hang on, let me go get a towel. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That, yep. that would definitely be an example of a sextile. Do all gays have sex on towels? No, my friend uses a comforter that he tucks away. Stop. Special comforter. <laughs> Um, let's move on. I we, think, let's move I, on. <laughs> I think with um with planetary timing, I mean, there's electional astrology, and then there's also like lunar mansions, mm -hmm. which is a, it's kind of its own system. Lunar of... mansions. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that sounds like a place I'd like to retire. Doesn't it? Like mm -hmm. lunar mansion, ladies and gentlemen, mm -hmm. please welcome to the stage, lunar mansion. Ooh, I like this. Um, you know, so it it can get really. No time is the wrong time if you need it, but I think you should operate within a system of timing. I think that can be really beneficial. Although if it's an emergency, you know, fuck it. One of my um, uh, patrons, one of my patrons on Patreon reached out and asked me, they said they wanted to do a very specific spell, but it wasn't correctly timing with the current moon phase. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I thought, kind of thought about it was, while I don't think that we need to just be ignoring things because they're not convenient, we can look into other places of power to pull the influence. So if you are needing to do a, a large building type of spell, but you're in the middle of a, a waning moon, maybe just don't include the moon phase when calling on powers or spirit allies within that spellcraft. So, um, Instead, if you need to do something more building, but it's in a waning moon phase, maybe use a plant or planetary or spirit ally that has nothing to do with the moon whatsoever. Instead, uh, if it's for great success, maybe you could do this on a Thursday and pull in the power of Thursday, which is also known as Thor's Day or Day of Jupiter or Zeus, because it's a very strong, manifesting strength and powerful, successful day. Um, you might, instead of thinking about the moon at all, thinking about the day that you're casting it on, the hour, if it's the hour of Jupiter on that day. And you know what? If you just want to do the day because the hour happens to fall at 3 a.m. and you can't stay awake, I think that's okay, personally. What do you think about that? I know some magical systems don't, they don't even like follow I, uh, the same like astrological framework that we do. Like mm -hmm. certain days correlate to particular deities, but they might look very different than Thursday is for Thursday. Like certain certain deities might reside over those days and then that's when you would do the work or do your prayers or, or something like that or certain times of the year. So, it, you know, it might not, there's always a good time. Is what I'm right. trying to say. <laughs> no, no, I totally understand. No, I totally understand that. And I think that the importance of whether or not you need to wait till the moon is in the correct phase 
it, it can be helpful, but if you know, and this kind of comes back to the foundations of, of learning a practice, if you know other different ways in which you could go about your spell, you don't have to count on just one type of timing. Right, right. I, I like there are certain practices that they don't care about the moon. Like, No, they don't care about the moon at all. Yeah. I was wondering if you could give some specific examples. Do you pull from like any historical folklore? Do you use any grimoires? Do you steal from the, I steal from the grimoires a lot. I say stealing, even though I'm just using what's in there, but I do Mm -hmm. kind of like streamline it and make it a lot, a little to a lot different than what I'm actually doing. Do you do any stuff like that? Oh no. Yeah. So, um, I know in our talisman episode, we talked about uh, the talismans that are coming from the Key of Solomon, which I have here. I have traditional witchcraft and the Black Toad. Those aren't technically grimoires, but they do have a couple of collections and things that did come from older grimoires in there. One of them uh, does have a few things that came from the discovery of witchcraft, which I guess technically wasn't a grimoire either. Now think about that. You know uh, what? It's indoctrinated though, because yes, it everybody really used it like one. <laughs> yes. So like there are two different types of, of wheel style sigils that are used in, in traditional witchcraft a lot nowadays. And they involve a symbol as a master of spirits for one and one that is fear no foe. So I've kind of played with some of those which come from that book series, come from that book in other different areas of spellcraft. So um, I've done that. I have, um, I do have the Witch's Art of Incantation right here. Uh, if anyone has, is interested in a great book to help build your own spells, The Witch's Art of Incantation by Roger J. Horn, Spoken Charm Spells and Curses and Folk Witchcraft. These are from a variety of different things. So there's um, the Grimorium Verum, there's the PGM, and if you don't know what the PGM is, it's the Greek Magical Papyri. Uh, They have spells or uh, incantations that are inspired by the poetic Edda from Norse mythology. You have um, more discovery of witchcraft, you have Welsh texts. Some of these go all the way to BC or just right after AD. I loved, I really, I got this book. I loved it because it was a great opportunity to take some of these either original or inspired incantations from these these collections of of spells and grimoires and then applying it into my practice today. So I do a lot more of that or symbols. Um, I know we talked about the Key of Solomon, but if you take some of these planetary symbols, I'll be honest, I may not use the right metal, but I will try to go out of my way to make it at the right time if that makes sense. So then I might use that talisman based off of that time and do that spell in that time period because that's what I want. And if that's the case, yes, I'm going off of timing. Am I doing it the exact same way that the book told me to invoke the power of God, to command the power of this spirit and this talisman do this thing? No, no, I didn't do that. Um, the cool thing about the Key of Solomon is that it actually has like, and almost all of the grimoires do, which I love, because um, when we think of grimoires, we think of this very like strict, you better make it out of this metal, and if it do, if it isn't out of this metal, it's not valid, do not pass go, do not collect $200, mm-hmm. go straight to jail, no get out of jail free card. Um, 
And when, while making this talisman, you have to wear the pelt of a lion. Yes, yes, we do love a good lion uh, loincloth in this house, uh, a lion garter. Um, <laughs> but it, it's funny because after it tells you that the metals, it also says it can be made in paper or in parchment. It should be made in parchment. virgin parchment. Um, and if anyone is interested in a place to actually like substitute out parchment, if you want to go a little bit more uh, uh, original, because I'm a big believer in recycling, uh, paper bags from the grocery store. If you go to Trader Joe's, they always give you a paper bag if you don't bring in your own. You can recycle those by tearing them up and using them for either sigil practices, for doing uh, planetary talismans, for writing spellcraft and burning petitions. I love using that specifically because not only am I recycling, but I'm also using something that is just a little bit less, oh, I pulled it out of my notebook. Yeah, it's untreated. Uh, well, it's minimally treated as opposed to like bleached paper. Right. Um, I think using virgin paper is great or uh, um, parchment as well. I, I don't think a lot of people just casually go by parchment anymore. If for those of you mm -hmm. who don't know, parchment is um, goat skin it, not like baking parchment, not um, like the stuff that you bake cookies on. It's, it's uh, almost like vellum. Have you ever felt vellum, Marshall? Vellum is the skin paper, right? Right, and it's made out of out of goat skin. So that is actually what parchment is when we talk about um, vellum. But most of the time, vellum is it's usually plastic nowadays, which is mm -hmm. fine. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think all that is is good, and all that's cool. Speaking of those master of spirits, I kind of want to get those tattooed on my hands. I know, right? Um, but I, I I agree. I pull from a lot of. I try to keep the folklore. I'm not like an expert on Florida folklore like I should be, um, but I do try and pull from folk sources. I do pull a lot from plant lore um, to inform me on my on the plants that I work with, um, as well as a lot of like personal gnosis stuff too. There's some great like even in fairy tales, there's lots of great magic in there. I think we were just recently talking about um, the wild swans or um, the 12 swans or nine. It depends on the source that you're getting it from. Oh, it totally changes depending on the source. It's so annoying sometimes. But we were chatting the other day. There's, there's this witch queen and she transforms um, her, her, 12 stepsons into swans and in order to break the curse um, the sister of these brothers has to go uh, every night to a cemetery and in complete silence she has to hand pick these graveyard nettles with her bare hands and it's very painful and she can't scream or anything like that she has to stay completely quiet and from the plant nettle she has to weave these um uh, basically make a fiber out of it and then make a tunic or a shirt out of uh, this plant and that will break the curse off of her brothers and keep them from turning into swans and I think that is really fascinating like what if you actually were able to find nettle fiber which is a real thing um and knit a shirt out of it and and you know that is that is your anti hex shirt. I think that 
is really powerful. So those are a good place, like fairy tales, folklore, and things like that are really good places to look. No, absolutely. I was thinking, I was, I was just flipping through a couple of my Troy books. Oh, is that it? The Troy books for the uh, talismans that I, uh, I fear no foe and master of spirits. And for some reason, it is just eluding me to the point of annoyance. What are you looking for? Here we go. Here we go. Now that's not the right one. The one from the discovery of witchcraft that was the two talismans for oh, I master think it's of in spirits. The, it's in the black toad. <gasps> yes, here it is. Who, uh, whosoever beareth the sign shall fear no foe. Mm-hmm. And it's this one here. And then there's a master of spirits one as well. I, I, I really want to get master of, of spirits tattooed on my left hand. Um, I was thinking that might be a great spell to kind of like put on uh, parchment paper and then basically cast a type of enchantment on it that between the four corners of these four talismans, I shall be the master of all spirits within and then bury them at every corner of my condo complex. Mm. So any spirit that comes within the boundary of those talis of those four sigils or talismans will have no one to uh, be authority cannot be of their own authority in my space. That's very interesting. I just, and again, that's something where I took something from uh, one of these old grimoires and I turned it into my own spell. I, um, I, I think there's a plethora of knowledge to be had uh, from pulling from, like I said, folk tales, fairy tales, grimoires, um, magical texts, and, and speaking of, of hand stuff, doing hand stuff there. <laughs> I've seen other places where people in grimoires, they'll actually tell you, you know, just draw it on your hand, like draw certain marks on your hand and the bearer of this mark, you know, shall never, um, perish or anything like that and there's a couple of examples do you think that comes from the um folklore of the mark of cain maybe some of it maybe there's um there's also a lot of the times when i've seen things like that it's usually like it's weird it'll be like abbreviations of bible verses and i mean by like abbreviations i mean they'll abbreviate each line so it'll just be a series of letters and then numbers and it, it just looks like gibberish, but it is representing like a particular psalm or something like that. That sounds witchy. Very. I love that. We kind of covered this a little bit, but let's go into it a little bit more because I feel like this is something that is really, really important when it comes to spellcraft. And for me, maybe I'll go first if that's okay with you, because I yeah. can tell you what I think about this, but specifically, um, what does it mean to set your intention? Um, and I'm just going to start by reiterating specifically when it comes to the idea that intention is everything, it doesn't necessarily mean in a statement that it's everything and all encompassing. It means that if the intention isn't there and present, the magic has no place to go. So in my opinion, when it comes to understanding the importance of setting your intention, I've seen so many spell books or spells within books that say the first thing, set your intentions or, or, you know, videos like, first of all, set your intentions. And I want to talk about what this means, because sometimes that can be way, way, way more, not complicated, but involved than simply, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) <laughs> that's not what it means setting your intention means making very specific 
whether that's verbiage or whether that is, uh, in my opinion, desire. What exactly is your desire? How do you want this to go about? How little do you need to affect how this goes about? Because there's two different sides to that coin. When you put your intention, say you're doing a petition and you write out what your desire is. Some people might say, let's say my intention is uh, uh, to get a job. There we go. If I write out my intention in a, in a petition and my intention is to get a job and I cast the spell to get a job, that is a very, very general and bland intention because I could get a job shoveling shit at a local, you know, a local shit house. That's just any I job, love, like your local shit house. <laughs> I love my local shit house. <laughs> um, but if you want to get a job that is more specific or even an actual location or place that needs to be part of your intention. Now, if you start being, I want a job at uh, AT&T only selling iPhones on Thursdays. Okay, now you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot here because your magic has to have a place to come to fruition. There needs to be an actual road to actualize itself. So if you make your intention so specific that in reality it cannot take place, you're kind of, in my opinion, you're pinching yourself off from the magic, if that makes sense. Um, I've seen people that will also add things like, and no harm, and no harm to none from this working. Okay, so here we are again, in my opinion, pinching yourself off from the actuality. Because again, if your spell is to get a job and you're giving yourself that extra magical aid, you might be getting the job instead of someone else. And if your spell included no harm or no harm to none, technically you're harming that person who might have gotten the job. So if you cut that off, you've also cut off your ability for that spell to possibly come to fruition. There can be a lot of different ways that harm could be a possibility. It could be very, very small. It could be ginormous. So I don't, I never add in harm to none to any of my spells, specifically because I think it can cut off the ability for the magic to reach its destination. That doesn't mean that I'm like, okay, well, you know, someone can die, so I get what I want. That's not what it means, because usually that's not the case based off of your desire. Um, but when it comes to intention and setting your intention, you need to know and be specific enough to get the ultimate outcome that you want, but not so specific that you put up so many roadblocks that there is no actual road to fruition. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you're wanting to cure a disease, mm -hmm. which I mean, you know, go see a doctor. Um, but if you're wanting to use magic to aid in your medical work, mm -hmm. you know, you're still killing bacteria or viruses or disease. You're still mm -hmm. harming it, so. And, you know, some people have to get sicker before they get better. That's just the nature of a virus sometimes. That's the nature of, of cancer treatment. That's the nature of many different aspects. Um, literally putting 
hydrogen peroxide on a cut kills the good and the bad bacteria. So think about that when you're considering how you're setting, quote unquote, setting your intention. It's not just taking a few deep breaths and getting ready to go and then keeping the idea or thought about what you want. It means keeping your desire at the present mind. And I hate to say in all times throughout the entirety of the spell, but that needs to be the foundation of what comes next. So when I say intention, and I want to bring up the the triangle model of like how magic or in my idea of how magic works, we can have- you hold that up again so patrons can see and can yeah. you tell us what the three corners say? Sorry, I've been doodling other places. So That's I know it's fine. it's all reversed to everybody, but so here we have um, the relationship, right? This mm-hmm. is our our spirit relationships. These are the relationship with ourself and our own magic. This is the relationship with outside forces, our environment. This is like animism, deity work, all of it, just any relationship in general. So it's all because magic is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And we have the work, right? This is the physical action, the microcosm, macrocosm, mm-hmm. um, the actual literal action of doing something. This is also going to the spirit world, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then we also have the intention here. I don't think it's a good word to use when I say intention. I don't think that it's it's the word that I should be using, but I have to use it for lack of a better word because I can't think of one. But this is our cultural nuances and this is somewhat of our intention and our desires and our outcome, right? This is our, how can you, take two separate practitioners. One is doing a baneful working and one is doing a healing working, right? And you take each practitioner does the same thing. They have two doll or they have a doll each and they each have a set of pins. One practitioner pins the pin into the top of the doll's head and is like, give this person a headache. That's the, that's the spell, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other practitioner, the different practitioner, pins the head into the doll and says, relieve this person of a headache, right? So how is it that two spells that look the exact same way can mean something completely different by the same person or by, you know, by an um, somebody who's viewing it from the outside? Is mm-hmm. it it's intention, right? So this is not only our cultural nuance and the cultural lens that we view things through. This is also what we mean, what we desire when we're enacting upon this doll, this spirit, this um, this work that we're doing, right? So for me, intention is more so like, what do I mean by this? So yes, I guess intention might be a very good word for me to use. Um, but again, I, I do have this, this context with the word that is very like, well, intention is everything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I will uh, use words like will or desire a little bit more. Um, I remember now that just as you said that the when I first drew this I do have a picture of it on my Instagram somewhere um I did swap out the word intention for um the will so it's the will the the work and the relationship 
Yes. <laughs> Too bad relationship isn't a relationship, so it could all be W words. I do love alliteration. The will, the work, and the relationship. <laughs> you know, my nickname <laughs> in high school was Alliterate Austin, except by my teachers. They were calling me Illiterate Austin. It hurt my feelings. Well, there was an A in there somewhere at one point. That was a really <laughs> bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so now we basically kind of cover what the idea of intention is and how important it is in its relationship to your spellcraft. Why don't we go ahead and get in different types of components? We're going to do um, half of the components in this episode and then... Uh, in the second part of the episode, we'll get into some more components. So let's kind of start with different aspects of timing. We've talked about the importance, but let's kind of talk about how timing can be used within spellcraft. Do you use timing a lot in your spellcraft? I do, yeah, especially with my talismanic stuff. Um, I know people see like the inks and things like that um that I that I work with and the fact that I'm having a whole workshop over it is really cool but a, a part of making the talismans that I do is incorporating particular planetary timing and, and our timing as well mm -hmm. so um for example I have a car talisman that I carry in my car I've carried it with me since I for several years it's very old I literally made it like on a uh like while I was at work I used to work at a pizza shop when I was like a lot younger there was a winter storm and so I actually used um red ink on a Jupiter talisman now of course the uh key of Solomon will tell you like don't make it not in a, you have to make it in a particular color and time. Um, but because Mars rules over our cars, right? It rules over chariots. Um, you could even think about it being just the combustibility of the moving vehicle. Very that. It, it rules over motor, like motorship. Um, so why would you make a Jupiter protection talisman in red ink? Well, I made that at that in red ink because it is also the color of Mars. So it's kind of like rigging the system a little bit, kind of like mm -hmm. hacking, hacking into the folksy side of things, or even like when you're making planetary timing, um, you know, if you're making a moon charm but you want to bring love into your life but you want it to come very easy and very intuitively and things like that maybe on a Monday during the hour of Venus you might make the talisman instead of doing it during the hour of the moon um, on a Monday or you know opposites too you can also kind of rig that to doing it like oh I forgot to do it on Monday I can do it on Friday just kind of flipping the system does that make sense no it totally does because for one thing there there of course is going to be preset concepts of astrological timing of colors that go with certain planets and intentions yes that already exists but a lot of times especially in folk magic we 
sometimes create our own UPG or, or unverified personal gnosis about certain aspects of colors or how we attribute that. Um, I know I have seen some things where um, blue is contributed to things like either royalty or to um, uh, success, to, depending on what you're looking at. I actually associate blue with healing a lot. I think of blue as a very healing color. When if I looked at a, a specific book that had color magic, a lot of those will end up telling me that white is the color of healing. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't have a white pen. So I'm gonna use blue because I associate it with that way. And that's my own personal UPG. I think that's how you can escape from the, not escape, that's the right word. That's how you can use your own personal gnosis versus what may be already written in the book. Because if you want to be honest, the most books are someone else's personal gnosis that have become either collectively agreed upon or just published. <laughs> I've seen some things that are published that are really not collectively agreed upon. Uh, another thing that you can also think about when it comes to, to uh, timing, not just astrological, not just planetary, but time of day. Um, if you are like me and do love a little bit of help from books, as I just told you to stop counting on books, uh, I, of course, you know, have my Llewellyn's complete book of correspondences right here. And I put a few bookmarks in because you can think about the time of day you're casting your spell. And I'm not saying hours based off of planets. I just mean dawn, midday, dusk, and midnight. So right off of the bat, Dawn and dusk are, are liminal times because they're between light and dark, between sun and moon and moonset. Uh, but dawn might have things that are building throughout the day, while sunset might have things that are more something you might do on a waning moon. So you can start thinking about the time of day you're casting your spell based off of the desire or will you're trying to enact within the world. If you want success and you want to build a business, I might suggest starting around uh, the, around dawn or first thing in the morning, which of course is to activate beginnings, hope, life, uh, purpose. But if you are in the process of wanting to do something where you need to banish something away from yourself, dusk, I think, in my opinion, it, my personal gnosis tells me, dusk would be a better time to do that because you want to push it away as the sun sets. I agree, yeah. And doing it at the cross times of the day, those are really important um, in, uh, you know, in folk magic as well as in astrology, because what you have at sunrise is, is the sun is actually hitting the horizon, right? So mm -hmm. this is the ascendant sign or the ascension of the sun of the day. Then you have the zenith, um, which is the height of the sun, so midday, even though 12 o'clock noon isn't actually when the sun is in midday, but it's fine. It's still a liminal time in my Right. Opinion. And then you both, have- Both 12s, midnight and noon. Absolutely. And then you have the descension, right, um, at, at during dusk to, mm -hmm. to, to kind of pull or get something away from you. And then you have the nadir or uh, 12, a.m., which is, you know, not only uh, the start of a new day in our perception of timing, but it is also um, that liminal space as well between day and night. No, absolutely. I totally agree. And funny enough, if we're talking about timing, we, it would be a miss if we didn't at least bring up phases of the moon. 
Yeah, I, I don't know why I keep forgetting to bring up moon Some phases. Some of the most obvious things in my mind are things that everyone has talked over. So I want to talk about things that isn't the most obvious out there, but not everyone is going to have um, an entire you know, year's worth of, of reading and listening to podcasts and stuff. So let's talk about the moon phases. We have, of course, uh, the full moon. And just so we're really clear on that definition, it's when you can see the moon in its entirety. We just had one uh, <laughs> we, last night. Last night, we just had a full moon. And of course, just so people understand what that means astrologically, that means that the position of the earth and the moon and the sun is in a way where the moon is lit up by the exposure to the sun while we're at night. And a new moon, and some people call it a dark moon, we'll get into that in a second, about the two differences there, um, is when it's completely dark, when it's actually on the opposite side. So most people don't realize this. The only reason that we have a new moon is because the earth and the moon, it, oh, no, sorry, the earth is almost between the moon and the sun in a specific way. And I'm not talking about a, an eclipse. I'm just talking about the fact that actually, you're really not going to see the moon at that time period because it's actually out more of the day than it is at nighttime. I think it's really cool during a new moon when you can go outside and you can see the moon and you can see that it's dark. I think it's it's cool. Like you can but see you can usually only see it at twilight because once you get too deep into the night, the moon's on the opposite side of the world. Right? I don't know. Right. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm pretty sure in astrology, like uh, a new, or I'm sorry, a full moon is like the sun and the moon are conjunct to each other because the earth isn't in between it to cast the shadow. Right, exactly. It's, it's more of like a triangle. <laughs> it is, yes. It is mm -hmm. the, the earth and moon and the sun are all in a little love triangle. It's really cute. So in between, of course, those two phases are the full, uh, so the waxing and waning. Waxing meaning is going from dark or new moon all the way to the full. And during the waxing time period, it's a great time period to do spells that involve uh, gain, that involve uh, uh, bringing towards you, uh, manifesting into your life things that you want to bring into your life, while uh, waning is usually pushing away. Yes, that's right manifest very manifest yeah but i think it's it's the it's funny when you know me putting my hands up and saying manifest and rolling my eyes on the back of my head it's funny because that still holds true throughout throughout time you know a lot of the times like some of the working books that we have for example like the the box grove manual which is a, a 15th century um uh, cunning man's handbook um, you know it will be like when the sun is in Libra or in Pisces do this talisman on a Monday when the moon is in its increase or during the full moon and it literally is telling you like just do it during do it in September and do it when the moon is is getting full like that's essentially what it means I am Wondering as well, so I know we talked about timing, we did talk a little bit about planetary day and hours, but mm -hmm. do you incorporate like any planetary magic into your work? Um, I love planetary squares, and I actually, I was flipping through this so many times, I passed over it 
over and over and over and over again, but planetary squares. Y'all know I love a good planetary square. Oh yeah, I've seen them in your in your Instagram all the time, but planetary squares are a mathematical, you, why don't you tell what a planetary square is? Because you probably use them way more than me. So a planetary square is essentially a mathematical equation that honestly it's they're called magic squares because there's I don't know how to do it I never did it in school because honestly I was a terrible student and I don't like math Um, math gay I'm not a math gay um essentially you start off I believe with one and you put the one into a certain area and you can literally it's kind of like playing Sudoku I guess you can basically multiply it to a certain amount of times and each time you write down a number, it'll be, it'll add up to a certain number. And in planetary squares, certain planetary squares relate to the intelligence and the the planetary intelligence is a particular type of spirit that um, can inform other planetary spirits like the archangel of the planet or uh, the other intelligences. There's, it, it gets a little complicated. Um, but essentially these numbers will add up to the number correlating to the planetary intelligence. And unless I'm showing that to you on paper, it's going to, I, you're probably being like, what the fuck are you talking about? But, Go ahead, Marshall. Sorry. I was going to say, I actually, I, I was looking it up as you were reading it because um, you actually explained it way just as simple as this, uh, but I was looking at the definition of where this comes from and why, and it says each magic square represents a matrix of planetary energy. Uh, magic squares are based on the original work done by ancient mathematicians in their description of numbers. Magical practitioners expanded upon this to carry over the correlation between a number and its corresponding planet, therefore representing planetary energy in a mathematical format. Yes, and so different um, number squares will like correlate to particular um, planets. For example, like Venus planetary square, it is seven rows and seven columns, and it adds up to a particular number. The solar Mm -hmm. square, for example, is six rows and six columns, and each row and column or each row adds up to 111. And when you multiply that together, um, all six, it comes to the number 666. And that is the planetary intelligence or the number of the intelligence of the sun, of the planet, the sun, right? And so yeah, it gets into a little like, it gets a little mysterious. Um, it's funny, uh, in certain texts in Agrippa, there are, there's actually a mistake in one of the calculations for the lunar square. So be on the lookout. I actually don't trust a lot of my um, number squares that I see from books. I used to usually, I would like cop, just copy them out of the book, but now I actually have to go back through and multiply every single thing because Something happened in Agrippa once upon a time where um, in the nine by nine lunar Chimea or the number square, um, there's a mistake in the third to last column. Yeah. That's um, the moon one right there. 
Yeah, in the third column or the third to last column, there is a mistake and it does not add up correctly. And then technically, if it doesn't add up correctly, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's the whole point of a mathematical matrix. Right, right, is it should equal the thing. Yeah, I know that um, like the Seder square, is it, it's called a palindrome, right? Yep, it is a five by five palindrome. Right, so the Seder square, which is somewhat similar to the, to the what book mathematical, is this? this is traditional witchcraft by Gemma Gary. Oh, okay. He's a bunch of in there. So I'm showing up for the patrons, the Seder square, which basically is all the letters say the same thing they, they all end up saying the same thing in the opposite way mm -hmm. so this it's very similar with the mathematics of the planetary squares so you can use planetary squares because they create an energetic matrix that has been corresponded to a planetary uh, virtue that's a mouthful isn't it yeah yeah mm -hmm. i like but if one, one number is off it's not kind of like you can substitute it for another number here <laughs> <laughs> you're using magical math yes yes and i know every time i post a chimea or a number square everybody's always like uh, that does not appeal to me i am not a math person and i say like i am not either i never really used to pay attention to them but now that i understand them because they're easy they're easy to understand you just have to like read about it it's it's not complicated math it's just they look daunting because you look at it and you're just like that's a lot of numbers you know temp and georgina taught me a really cute way an easy way to do a folk charm specifically with planetary squares and you literally get yourself a paper plate if the virtue of the planet you're wanting to use you draw that planetary square in the middle of the paper plate you take a plant ally and an, an intention oil and a candle and you dress it based off of the virtue you want that's the same of the planet and then you literally <laughs> you put it on top of the paper plate on top of the square that's been dressed and you say an orphic hymn even if you don't do an orphic hymn you can literally just do this light the candle get yourself in the mindset and then say aloud what you want your desire to be over this magical matrix you've created it's a fucking paper plate with a candle over it and some herbs it was that simple uh that's a fantastic folk remedy and i've seen all these really beautiful instagram models where it's like this gorgeous silver platter with hundreds of herbs and then a crystal grid and then seven candles Babe, and that's then too smoke much. and i'm just like you want to throw all that away afterward yeah it's gonna throw all that away that was beautiful Put that's, it in a book. That's too much, babe. Yeah. I um, I know for a lot of my skincare, actually, which uh, is a little trick that I've told people, like, um, write on, I use, I do use plates. I'll use like ceramic plates, um, but I'll use watercolor or like, oh, like a water. Um, An expo marker. Yeah, like a, a water-based solvent like uh -huh. paint so it, it will rinse off with soap and water um but i I'll use like, mirror markers or glass markers oh that's smart mm -hmm. and um i'll draw the uh like the venus planetary square on it and then i'll set my skincare when i get a new 
round of skincare when I'm out of my old one. And I'll set that on top of it during the day and hour of Venus. And I'll do like a little Venusian ritual for good, luscious, gorgeous skin. And I mean, it works clearly because I have gorgeous, luscious, plump, wonderful skin. It's so perfect. I can tell. Thank you. Look look at that. It's so smooth. So glossy. So you look like a very expensive rubber doll. Thank you. It's chicken grease. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's not at least it's not the fat of an unbaptized baby. It's that too. I know, right? But only on the full moon. Um, so Austin, I know there are a lot more components we still have to go over, but I think that is probably the end of this episode. So the listeners are going to have to stay tuned for the next two weeks so we can finish up on more with Spellcraft. Yes, I think we'll have plenty to go over on the second part, and I'm really excited to delve into some of the other stuff. And as we just had the full moon, by next time we are recording, we will be going over the new moon. Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you everyone for listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of perfect, a, po- a podcast of perfect ways. <laughs> Less than. Less than perfect ways. A podcast of, a podcast of, obviously this is way less than perfect. I think you're, um. <laughs> I think you're getting tired, Marshall. Do we need to lay down? I think it's time for a nap. I agree, actually. <laughs> yes, you've been listening to a podcast of Perp. Oh my God. Thank you for tuning into Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon supported podcast. Marshall and I wanted to give a big thank you to the following top-tier patrons for supporting us. Anastasia, Courtney, Key, Nicolette, Pamela, and the Lady Ghost.